In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Hello, and welcome to the Betches Up Podcast. I'm Sammy Fishbein. I'm Amanda Duberman. And for those of you who are just tuning in, the Betches Up podcast is your bi-weekly rundown of all the crazy shit that's happening in the news, explained by your two funniest friends, which is us. Today we're talking about Marie Ivanovich, Donald Trump's sketchy hospital visit, and Roger Stone, convict. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. Betches Media presents. I like beer. I don't know if you do. Okay. Do you like beer, Senator, or not? Uh, my party is going bet crazy. <laughs> You're the pop- Alternative facts. Oh, goodness. The Betches Sup Podcast. America! What's going on? Um, we just recorded 20 <laughs> minutes of this podcast. It got deleted or something. And now we're going to start well, over. At least we didn't record all of it. Yeah. Yeah. Very much. At least we didn't record all of it. Yeah. That would have been hell to talk about all this again. Oh, my God. Now we only have to talk about two things again. Only because we're always talking about it. Like, we've all had day. this. Yeah, right. That's all I fucking think about. Anyway, so no. I'm just curious. Is What's getting through the week? <laughs> what's getting I me through the week? As if guess. you don't already know. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. What is getting me through the week is this new star in the Republican Party that we are all being introduced to. Yeah. Some of you may remember her from some past hearings but she really seems to be having a rise in this week in last week's hearings yeah she's an it girl yeah she's an it girl even the president said so he called her a star very talented very talented which is a big deal her name is elise stefanik she is a republican representative from new york upstate obviously even like all the way up to canada almost she's basically a canadian yeah but like no offense <laughs> but, to the canadian right. listeners but like would only get elected here yes exactly so she had sort of a star turn in impeachment hearings last week um she had a bit of a scuffle with adam schiff over the rules which she should have known but she pretended yeah. like she didn't to make democrats look stupid so that they could later cry sexism so let's play the clip of their scuffle we'll explain the context and then yeah. talk about the thing that's really getting me through uh, I know, Ms. Stefanik, you had a, a few quick questions for the ambassador. I'll yield to you, Ms. Stefanik. Thank you, Mr. Nunez. Ambassador Yovanovitch, thank you for being here today. Suspend. The gentlewoman was suspended. What is the interruption for this time? It is our time. The gentlewoman was suspended. You're not recognized. Mr. Nunez, you are minority I counsel. Just, I just recognized. Under the House Resolution 660, you are not allowed to yield time except to minority counsel. The ranking member You're yielded time to another member of Congress. No, that is not accurate. You're gagging the that young is lady accurate. from New York. Ambassador Yovanovitch, I want to thank you for being here today. Suspend. You're not recognized. This uh, is the fifth time you have interrupted members of Congress, newly elected members of Congress. Woman will suspend. Okay. Woof. I hate the words "duly elected," mm-hmm. especially because it's like it's basically like the pro- it's like the lady doth protest too much. Right. Like if you have to say yeah. "duly elected," you probably were non nonly <laughs> right. elected. Right. That's like every chance he gets. Trump is like they're trying to overturn the election. The duly that I like, lost by three million votes. He right. He they're all they're all they're, you never hear a Democrat saying oh I was duly elected because they know that saying I was elected is right. just fine if yeah. you really were totally okay. But that's a, that's a total aside. It's just a, a personal pet peeve. Yeah. Um, 
But basically what they're doing here is that they turn this into some sort of like feminist, Republican feminist rallying cry. Yeah. Little does she know she's going to have to dye her hair blonde if she wants <laughs> to ever fit in with them. But OK, that's also a side point. Um, so basically... The reason that she didn't realize that these were the rules that she and the Republicans had all agreed to is because there were several depositions that she did not attend, which Schiff pointed out when he was basically trying to tell her right to explain this to her yeah. that if she had attended those she would know the rules so that's what happened instead they try to turn this into like some sexism thing sorry it only works when the left does it but, <laughs> but nevertheless yeah. she persisted only we can persist exactly yeah. but so basically that's not what's getting me through the yeah. week i would never choose a woman being just like bullied and annoying yeah. as the thing that's getting me through the week the thing that's getting me through the week is that she did this on Friday. She had this little performance on Friday. Yeah. By Monday, her up challenger in Congress for her seat raised $1 million. Imagine having fundraising skills like that, that you yeah. do say one annoying thing on <laughs> Friday and then by yeah. money by Monday, yeah. your your challenger has $1 million. A million dollars. Like, and you, that's a huge amount for that kind of race insane insane this random district yeah and it's and to be honest so stefanik is stefanik yeah I, whatever she's only it's not a great name on the tongue yeah. but again i'm working with fishbine so right. i really can't talk <laughs> she's 35 and she actually is thought to be quite bipartisan for example yeah. she's one of the few gop lawmakers who voted against the um, 2017 tax cut for bajillionaires she has backed equal rights for lgbtq LGBTQ Americans and she has supported an effort to grant legal status to young undocumented immigrants yeah. so she you know could be one of the not that bad ones but then right. she went like full Nikki totally. Haley and just yeah, yeah that was and she tried to use this so and it majorly backfired because yeah. her opponent a woman named Tedra Cobb who she actually had lost she had lost to Stefanik yeah. before um, she lost by 14 points last year, which was the closest margin since Stefanik was elected in 2014. And um, yeah, so this is now a race to watch. Yeah. Thank yeah. you, Elise. Yeah. And I was also reading that George Conway donated, <laughs> was one of the people that donated. George Conway, husband to, oh yeah, husband to, what's her name? Kelly Kellyanne Conway, who also had that meltdown on the news last week. I forgot about that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're embarrassing yourself, Wolf. Yeah, so he contributed the maximum amount yeah. an individual can contribute, which is twenty eight hundred dollars. Wild. So, and he urged other people to do the same. So, I'm sure some of that got her up to that million. Definitely. All right, Amanda, what's getting you through this week in Trump's America? Okay, so for me this week, it's getting me through Trump's world. Germany has ended its tampon tax. So I've been thinking about the tampon tax a lot because at the end of this episode, you'll hear my interview with Nadia Okamoto. You probably know Nadia Okamoto. She is the founder of Period, which is a group that is fighting period stigma and like making menstrual products more accessible. And you've probably heard more lately about the tampon tax, which we have here, which um, taxes menstrual hygiene products as like non-essential goods, whereas stuff like Rogaine and Viagra is not taxed to the same degree. But Germany had even worse. They taxed tampons like wine and cigarettes. Wine, cigarettes, and tampons all taxed like they're the same thing. Because Just like a bonus on a Friday night. I want some wine, a, a little Marlboro, and a tampon. Because you know that the people who who made this up, men, right. obviously in some way equate tampons with sex. Right. Yes, like, they're definitely. like, oh, it goes in the vagina? Oh, it must yeah. be pleasant. Yeah. Like, right. Also in Germany, like I studied abroad in Germany and I was very jarred. When I got there, at least, you could only buy the OB ones. Which are better, which don't have an applicator. 
Oh. And those are definitely better for the environment. But like if you've never, I mean, they take some getting used to. So you're getting taxed 20% for, you don't even get an applicator. 20% is like a Veterans Day sale discount. Right. Like, that's crazy. That's a lot of money. Right. Right. You, if, that adds up. Yeah. Right. So they reduce that to 7%. So that's extremely high. Ours in the U.S., it depends on the state, but it hovers between 4 and 7%. Um, 33 states still have the tampon tax. So stay tuned through the end of today's episode where I talk to Nadia Okamoto. So she talks to me about like ac- barriers to accessing menstrual products, how it affects you. And we also talk about, because I was like, you know, I feel like I've, been, this is, I've heard about this for a while now. Like, how is this not done? Who? What's the rationale for not, for like, who wants a tampon tax? But there's actually like a very vocal sort of group of people that are like, tax them tampons. What's, what's the rationale? <laughs> Basically that like, well, if you've, you've been paying the tax for so long, you probably don't even notice. Like if you've been affording it this, but the problem is like not everybody can afford it. You know, that argument, you've been paying it so long, it's fine. Right. Could also apply to the giant tax cut. Totally. For those huge yeah. companies. Yeah. They've been paying taxes for so long. Yeah. What's another billion totally. dollars on to FedEx's bottom line going to do? That is actually how much they saved yeah. in, from the 2017 tax cut. I heard it on Steph Rule Ugh. this morning. That makes me so angry. Shall we move on to the yeah. main news? Speaking of blood. Yeah, speaking of blood. Um, we have this strange <laughs> I worked on all my transitions <laughs> last yeah. time. Yeah. You know, when you like go out, you do you something, you're like, jokes. oh, I should have said that. And you're, well, you yeah. looking at this in a positive light. Yeah. yeah. So Trump went to the hospital in quite a sketchy way this yeah. past Saturday. Um, he visited Walter Reed on Saturday for what his press, press secretary claimed was phase one of his annual physical. Okay, now let's list the reasons why this was weird. Yeah. One, the president has already had a physical this year. Yeah. Step two. Have you ever wanted a second physical? No, no. I'm pushing that to like 14, 15 months. Right. No. If I, I don't want to get weighed more than twice every five years. <laughs> Right, you're just Max. Yeah. So he already had it. Um, yeah. And we know this is not a man who is probably trying to get like measurements right. on his health yeah. and his vitals too frequently. <laughs> Thinking if he about making it. a lifestyle change. <laughs> yeah. Ne- said him never. Right. Um, it seemed like it was rushed. It was very yeah. sudden. It came out of nowhere. It's usually on the president's schedule. Also, the whole staff of Walter Reed is usually informed beforehand. Yeah. Like they let everyone know. They didn't know he surp- he showed up in the middle of nowhere as a surprise. They claimed that they decided to use this like dead weekend that he had yeah. to do this physical, oh. which takes about four. Oh, that was not a, <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> we haven't seen him since the physical guys. That's true. But, to take do this four hour thing. Yeah. Okay. So that is I I saw it reported somewhere that it usually takes about four hours. Okay. So why wouldn't you then do the whole thing right. if we have the whole weekend free? Right. Right. That's weird. Yes. The other thing is that we see this like video of him getting in the car and you can't really see him. I slowed it down, watched it several times, looked for hints, yeah. basically tried to perform my own forensic analysis yeah. on it <laughs> using just my phone. Yeah. Um, and he he like you can only see him like walking between these two cars, but he's like walking faster than he yeah. normally walks. He's holding something that looks like a folder. I saw speculation that it was some sort of like medical device yeah. potentially. And, and his weird- like shirt is unbuttoned like. He yeah. looks slightly disheveled. He looks disheveled, but he always looks disheveled. Yeah. But the weird thing is that the Secret Service people are all like running. And, his, and it's yeah. like, what's the rush? We have nothing to do this weekend, right. remember? Yeah. Other than phase one of the physical? Right. And his the White House physician is with him. They go into the car together. And also, we've been reading that like the White House can handle minor medical emergencies. It's the president. They, they're equipped to keep him alive in a, in a small emergency or... 
They got a first aid kit. They have an EKG, which means that like they could like they I feel like they determined something to be if this was not a physical, they determined something to potentially have been alarming enough. Like, I think probably like high blood pressure or heart rate that he needed to go to the hospital. Yeah. And I mean, of course, uh, on Fox News, they were like, is the president superhuman? Yes or yes? As they're like leading story (laughs) this weekend. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, just as a trigger warning, because we are just going to discuss like one minute of potential substance abuse related conversation. So just a trigger warning, fast forward a bit, maybe five minutes, just in case to, you know, give yourself a little buffer. Um, And we also just want to note that there hasn't been national reporting on this. But that doesn't mean that it's not true, because if you remember, there was no national reporting on a lot of shit until there is after, you know, Ronan Farrow fights the powers that be to get it out there. Nobody wants to be the person that's wrong about something like this. Yeah. Yeah. But it has been alleged that Donald Trump is heavily into uh, stimulants, Um, Adderall, prescription stimulants. Yeah. And I mean, we've all seen that there's that photo of him where there's like the UK Sudafed hanging out of his, you know, like boxes and boxes Boxes of it out of his drawer. I mean, that's something that apparently it has an ingredient in it that people use as some sort of like stimulant. Yeah. Either to use it as stimulants or like treat side effects of abundant stimulant use. There have been people that worked on The Apprentice who have publicly alleged and claimed that he is basically a speed freak and abusing substances all day. Yeah, there was also... He the, behaves uh, erratically. He, right, he definitely... <laughs> right, you see these like peaks and valleys and the constant sniffling yeah. and just... He's not a drinker, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't seem like a man who is rife with addictions yeah. of all sorts. And so it wouldn't really be that crazy if he decided to go a different direction in terms of the substances. And he that had he likes. a very sketchy doctor. I think that is still his doctor, right? And that weird like raid. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of the allegations about this abuse comes from an ex-apprentice producer named Noel Kassler, who's a comedian. He's done. He's talked about this a lot. Um, how he used to misuse stimulants, including Adderall and cocaine, while filming. And this Noel Kassler also basically said that after Trump was elected, like right after um, the his bodyguard, Keith Schiller, basically went into that doctor, that guy, Harold Bornstein, who wrote the letter saying that he's the healthiest president ever, raided his office for all his files so that there would be like no evidence of like what his treatment was. So the whole thing. Feels yeah. a bit sketchy to me. Right. Those questions have been out there. And just like given the weird circumstances and their like lack of transparency, I'm binging the West Wing right now. And they act like him having MS is like the worst thing. Any- and not telling people is like the worst thing that's ever happened. I mean, some of the things that they act like are the worst thing oh, that's yeah, ever for happened sure. in that whole yeah, show. Yeah. It's like, oh, remember when, um, what is his name? Sam Seaborn like yeah. slept with a, oh, right. a, yeah, yeah. someone who a was sex. an escort. Right. And, Okay. Right. I All forgot right. about the that because I was in like early the president seasons. President pays yeah, yeah. off uh, porn stars right. now. So we right. really moved since yeah. that show came out. Right, right. And you know what? It wouldn't really be that crazy for the president to have a health scare after the week he had right. last week. One of the worst ever. Right. One of the best ever to me. Right. But yeah. I mean, yeah. I've been to the hospital for a panic attack and you really feel like you need to go to the hospital when it's happening. So whether it was assisted by the substances he may or may not be using, or he just had a panic attack, that's a decent reason to go to the hospital. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's imagine being at the hospital with Donald yeah. Trump. Oh my God. Horrible. Jesus. The white house is of imagine course saying it was nurse. routine. Oh God. Right. They're saying it's routine and he's the healthiest man to ever grace the 
White House. Right. And they look forward to sharing the results of his physical. Yes. So let's give you guys an update on impeachment because the end of last week, Friday, was yeah. just crazy. It was, it was like we had Marie Ivanovich early in the day. And then later in that afternoon, there was also a closed door deposition by an aide named David Holmes. Right. Um, who had worked with Gordon Sondland? Yeah, and really both couldn't have been yeah more damning. I feel like I feel like Friday didn't have to be such a blockbuster day until Trump tweeted personal attacks you at know, the witness. You know that. Plus, also just the substance of what they right. say is like so outrageous right. that it kind of is blockbuster. Totally. Yeah. So about like a few minutes into Marie Ivanovich, Marie Ivanovich is the ousted ambassador who appears to have been ousted or recalled from her post. She still works for the State Department. She's still an employee. So Trump is yelling at his employee on Twitter. Um, Rudy Giuliani. Not the first time. Right, totally. And all of his friends basically tried to oust her because she stood in the way of their financial interests. And it seems like there was an also intersection with Trump and Giuliani's political interests that sort of worked together. She didn't get along well with the prosecutor that Trump says is a really good guy. So all these things worked together to get her out of there in ways that like really undermined our national security and U.S. interests, which is what she spoke to the most. Right. And given that this what this scandal really is all about is that the United States has a foreign policy that they deal with with all ver- with various countries. And Ukraine has one specific, you know, its yeah. own policy that has been determined that would be in the national interests of the United States. Trump right. gets involved. He becomes president. He doesn't obviously know what that means. Right. He has no clue. So all he sees is Ukraine is a country that I can loot and take advantage of for my own interests. So this whole story is really a story of two separate motives. You have the State Department. We're looking to help the the national interest. And you have Trump. I'm looking to get reelected and I'll do anything, whatever it is. So the person kind of standing in the way of this second plan was Marie Ivanovich. Yeah. So this whole thing sort to get Really, the key thing was that they needed to get her out of the way because she's like, what are we doing, boys? Like, what is this shit? Yeah. So that's really why she got ousted and what she was testifying about her experience in being kicked out so that she could then so that they could then perpetuate this drug deal, as John Bolton called it. Right. Not me. Um, So. So Maria Ivanovich, she testifies that knowing that in the call transcript with uh you, with Zelensky. Zelensky, that he had said in reference to Marie Ivanovich that she was going to go through some things, yeah. which sounds like she will break, he will break her legs and right. she will wake up with a horse head in her bed. <laughs> That's what I hear. Um, but so basically she, they ask her right. like, were you intimidated? And she's like, yeah, a little. Yeah. And then in the middle of the testimony, yeah. he tweets at her. <laughs> to intimidate her. To intimidate her. Yeah. So this is what he says. Everywhere Marie Ivanovich went turned bad. She started off in Somalia. How did that go? Then fast forward to Ukraine, where the new Ukrainian president spoke unfavorably about her in my second phone call with him. It is a U.S. president's absolute right to appoint ambassadors. They call it serving at the pleasure of the president. They, the U.S. now has a very strong and powerful foreign policy, much different than preceding administrations. It is quite... It is called, quite simply, America First. With all of that, however, I have done far more for Ukraine than O. Obama. <laughs> okay. After he tweets that, Adam Schiff basically straight up asks her to respond. And so we're going to play a clip. She responds to that. And also in this is the clip of her responding to, like, it's so, you'll hear, it's just kind of annoying. It's like, did you feel threatened when he threatened you? And she says if she felt threatened by threats. 
the president implicitly threatened you in that call record. And now the president in real time is attacking you. What effect do you think that has on other witnesses' willingness to come forward and expose wrongdoing? Well, uh, it's very intimidating. It's designed to intimidate, is it not? I, I mean, I can't speak to what the president is trying to do, but I think the effect is to be intimidating. What was your reaction when you heard the president of the United States refer to you as bad news? I couldn't believe it. I mean, again, shocked, appalled, devastated that um, the president of the United States would talk about any ambassador uh, like that um, to a foreign uh, head of state, <laughs> and it was me. I mean, I couldn't believe it. The next excerpt, when the pre president references you, <clears throat> was a short one, but he said, well, she's going to go through some things. What did you think when President Trump told President Zelensky and you read that you were going to go through some things? I didn't know what to think, um, but I was very concerned. What were you concerned about? She's going to go through some things. It didn't sound good. It sounded like a threat. Did you feel threatened? I did. Interesting. Yeah. They then asked Trump whether he thought his words were intimidating, and he said, I don't think so at all. Right. Yeah. And after this, Adam Schiff, like, basically is like, we take this very seriously. And then later they said, like, this could be added as articles of impeachment. And basically, like, no, no Republican defended what he did. Yeah, because it's, a crime. it's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> it's insane. Like, straight right. up. Um, yeah. So basically, the big takeaways from her testimony is that her whole the whole day she was essentially describing a smear campaign against her which was urged on by corrupt influences within ukraine working within rudy giuliani and his the guys he was yeah. working with which basically sonlin and volker to undermine her and parnas and fruman oh yeah those clowns, like <laughs> yeah literally like literally it's like you have like two teletubbies right. like, <laughs> working on the policy like what are we doing yeah like, what are their names again? Okay. Uh, Igor Fruman and Lev Parnas. Oh, no. I was talking about the Teletubbies. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the Teletubbies. Yeah. Red Parnas. Right. I remember yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, really, the issue was that her her work was that she was she was the one who was really trying to stop the corruption in Ukraine um, between Trump's personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, and Ukraine's prosecutor general, Yuri Lutsenko, who was the corrupt prosecutor general who Biden wanted to get fired. Yeah. And that was like agreed upon by international interests. Right. Everyone's like, we got to get this guy out because he's the yeah. center point of the corruption in Ukraine. Yeah. Now Donald Trump's like, I'm trying to get rid of it. Right. And that's why I'm trying to get her out. Yeah. But she is very clearly like the same one. Yeah. Part yeah. of the basis of ousting her was they were they they claimed that guy claimed that she gave him a do not prosecute list. And I guess the sort of far fetched. Like rationale would be like, oh, maybe Burisma was on that list. But he afterwards said that that was false. That was not true. And when that happened, the State Department did release something saying, like, we don't believe this is true and we support Marie Ivanovich. Right. What happened is that later there were additional smears. And when she asked for support, suddenly she was not getting it. Yeah. So, yeah, Lutsenko began spreading like a fake story that she gave him a list of people she didn't want 
him to prosecute. Um, rumors spread. Rumors also just spread that she was like a Trump critic and that she was disloyal and that he should fire her because she was just disloyal to Trump. And then suddenly in April, she's like called and says, like, you need to come home. She's not given a reason or she's given a reason like you have to come home for your own safety. Um, and later, the deputy secretary of state who resigned all of this said that he told her they wanted to get her out before Trump took to Twitter because this was sort of starting to make it onto Fox News. It was like this this part of the story is kind of hard to ingest just because it's like there isn't a lot of logical reasons why they thought that she was a problem. They just kind of like she said this and maybe she didn't like Trump and maybe this like there's no like real straight line. They just sort of seemed like she was focused on rooting corruption out of Ukraine. Corruption in Ukraine was going to help Giuliani and Trump. If right. they cuz by corruption in Ukraine generally when you hear that that means generally like failure it does actually mean in this context like failure to prosecute. Like there were so many people that they hoped that this guy Lutsenko would prosecute and take down these oligarchs and he just never did, which is part of why he was he was taken down. Lutsenko is like Ukraine's Bill Barr, yeah. you could say. Yeah. The other thing I thought that was interesting that she described was how the State Department yeah. had been sort of like looted from within. Yeah. And that there was really no longer a structure to protect her. Right. Which I'm glad someone's letting us know after the three years we knew it might take and, for yeah. that to actually happen. And I thought happen. she was also effective in like sort of demonstrating why it's so important. Because I think a lot of people don't really know what diplomats do or what the Foreign Service does. And she described like one time like having to go meet someone at an embassy and she like received gunfire. She was shot at. She described another like a Ukrainian woman who was fighting against corruption and she was killed. And she was like, she didn't say this, but to me, I was thinking like, imagine doing all that and knowing that the president of the United States does not have your back. And she was like, she basically was like, I cannot overstate how much that poisons the work that we do. Like it, whenever we're out there saying this is what the U.S. wants from Ukraine and they're getting a different story from some other channel, like that completely delegitimizes what we do and makes people like, she said a lot of people quit their jobs. Like people, like really talented people don't work at the State Department anymore because they see what happened to her and they don't want that to happen to her, them. And like there were subsequent times where she said, okay, this is happening. Can you put out a letter saying that you support me because that seems to be a regular practice when diplomats are undermined. And then several times they said they didn't because they're like, well, the same reason they said, well, if the president then tweets against you, we have two separate confusing things. Right. Well, I think the story of last week between her and and uh, Bill Taylor and and George Kent is that they were just sort of these like diplomats who were like doing their job yeah. you don't hear about them they're not these famous ambassadors they're not like they don't get the glory they're not you know they're, yeah. they're in the harder countries even you could say yeah um and they just sort of they keep their heads down and really for them it's it's one thing it is what is in the united states national interest yeah. not one party not the other party what is in everyone's interest and i think that what he was trying what they were all trying to get across is that the fact that Trump has this secondary track that is essentially based on just getting himself reelected is really, really harming yeah. to the whole national interest. Because once you're corrupt and once you're sort of compromised, you really can't do much about that. And I thought that it came through for all of them, but especially for her. I think that she seemed so credible. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. It's like such a just heads down, do your job type of person. Yeah. And I also think that she came across more sympathetic in the way that a misogynist would want a woman to appear sympathetic. Yeah, yeah for sure. Kind of more like a Christine Blasey Ford than like an Elizabeth Warren or a Hillary mm -hmm, Clinton. Like mm -hmm. she didn't have that tough, 
right. I'm gonna tell you why you're wrong vibe totally, about yeah. her. And I think that that is what earned her like this standing ovation is that she just she's she is what like misogynist men want women to be. Right. And I felt like that's why Trump's attack was so like I felt like I don't think Republicans were gonna go after her particularly hard, but I think if they were, he kind of neutered that because it's it was gonna look bad anyway because she was immediately sympathetic and she is. I don't know if she would call her, but she is kind of a victim in all of this. Yeah. So that like as soon as you have the president being like that woman everywhere she goes is goes terrible. And she had kind of a funny answer. She was like, I'm not that powerful. Like I can't I can't drive Somalia into the ground. Like that's not something I can do. So go off POTUS. But no, she was like a lower level staffer during the Somalia. Right. He just probably like looked at her Wikipedia if he can even read that many words. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Um, But yeah, yeah, I I thought Mike Pompeo came out looking terrible. Yeah. Oh, he's he's he'll be. Yeah. down to his bus yes, like totally yeah. but the second really the second i heard her speak i was like they're gonna love her yeah i just knew i was like she's she's probably gonna be one, one of the most effective witnesses unless gordon Sondland, you know right. completely comes clean someone should be calling yeah. his wife right i know like she's i feel like she's really yeah. the key to all of this but i did feel like democrats almost wanted to exploit that a little. like they just kept asking her about her feelings because she was already her opening statement was great like I don't they didn't need to they weren't trying to extract the same thing from her as they were from like a Bill Taylor who had this like big booming powerful voice I think they wanted to upset her to show that she had been upset by this like there was one time where a congresswoman was was asking you know how is this affect how has this affected your family and she just said I would rather not talk about that because I did read that she did get a little bit tearful behind closed doors and she probably didn't want to do that again on TV. Like, I don't want to cry on TV. So they just like kept kind of pushing her for this effect. And it was kind of annoying. Like she said, she said it made her sad. Like, let's move on. Yeah. I mean, if you want to just talk about her background, her parents escaped right. the Soviet Union. She wasn't born in the, I think she right. was, yeah, she she was born, born in maybe there. in Connecticut or something. No, maybe her family yeah. immigrated to Conne- or Canada and then they moved here. Yeah. So she's someone who, having not even been born here, devoted her life to the national service abroad. And so when you're someone who has sort of has a tie to the alternative, what it could be, and you say, I want to actually give my life to this. Right. It's not like you're in this glamour job. Right. So that, I think, is even so much more powerful. Yeah. Is that she is someone who is really actually fighting against exactly what Trump and all these clowns he hangs out with are trying to do. Yeah. Um, okay, so that was Friday. And just when we thought that we could go home and start our weekends, there was a closed door testimony that happened that day with David Holmes. He's a State Department aide based in Kiev, which is how you pronounce yes. Kiev. We're all learning we learned. now. Yeah. We can explain it later. It's another, it's for another time. <laughs> um, so you have this whole day of this testimony. Yeah. You think, oh, we're going home. Yeah. Time for yeah. a drink. No. This, com- this transcript of his testimony comes out. Um, so, Basically, if you listen to Thursday's podcast, we referenced um, Bill Taylor in Bill Taylor's testimony. The sort of like bombshell moment was that he said that an aide of his, which is now this David guy, Holmes. David Holmes, had overheard Gordon Sondland talking to Donald Trump in the flesh. No, sorry, on the phone, yeah. not in the flesh, <laughs> but like literally him in, right. the, in the vocal cord um, talking to Donald Trump 
specifically about these investigations that he was trying to get Zelensky to say that he was doing into Biden, which was this was a new thing. Yeah. Um, especially because Republicans had until then basically tried to say that all this was hearsay. But it's not really hearsay when you actually hear Donald Trump right. saying, which is hearsay is, is because it also isn't hearsay because they're literally saying what they know. I mean, not what other people, people know are hearing like, say right, right now. Like hearsay, like, right. all hearing yeah. hearsay but all even the time. Also, second to the fact that the first time that Trump has a direct connection is in the fucking phone call when he says, I'd like you to do us a favor, though. Right, right. You, yeah. right. right. Why are we all pretending? This is the first like, connection. The evidence isn't right. there. Right. There's primary um, source material. So here's what Holmes's deal is. He was in Kiev having a bottle of wine with Gordon Sondland on July 26th, which is the day after the call where Donald Trump said to Zelensky, I'd like you to do me a favor, though. Yeah. Holmes said that Trump was... So he's sitting with Gordon Sondland and two other people, so it's not like Holmes is the only guy who heard this. Yeah. And Trump, he's outdoors, but in fucking Eastern Europe. Like, I don't know. I can't even believe this is happening <laughs> at know. all, but good that it is. So <laughs> Sondland's on the phone with him. And like, you know when someone's talking so loud yeah. that you take the phone away from your ear? Okay, Trump... Loud phone talker. No one's shocked. Um, He can hear the full exchange between Sondland and Trump. And he says this. He says that Trump asked Sondland, so basically confirming, is Zelensky going to do the investigation? Sondland responded, responded by saying that Zelensky loves your ass and that he would pursue the investigation and that he will do anything you ask him to think we have a clip yeah it's funny because as cnn was reading this you could tell but i was getting so excited for it every time something happens i'm always the one among all of us who's i'm like this is it and you guys are like you always say that and it's, like, never, it's never it, it. Yeah. yeah i get so excited but so cnn had it and they were just reading it and you could tell so someone says Zelensky loves your ass you can tell as the reporters are reading it your ass you can tell yeah. as the reporters are reading it they think it's like a typo and they think maybe it's supposed to be ask. loves your ass so the way they're reading it is because you wouldn't because everyone knows the cadence of he loves your ass. But this is what they were but, saying. But it's funny because the whole weekend I'm trying to be like, does he love his ass like right. the buttocks or right. does he love your ass? Like, <laughs> oh, you know, he loves you. It's got to be the latter one, right? I think. Yeah. But I, every time I read it, I'd be right. like, what? Like, if exactly. I didn't know, I wouldn't know. Right. Like, like I definitely assumed and definitely the reporters reading this thought that maybe there was a transcription error. And so they were just saying it in a really funny way. This is how they were saying it. Ambassador Sondland replied, yes, he was in Ukraine and went on to state that President Zelensky uh, loves your ass. <laughs> I love so making funny. serious people say non-serious things. We should add this to our opener. Yeah, it's funny. Um, so basically, Holmes asked Sondland to uh, ask Sondland how Trump really feels about Ukraine. So and Sondland replied, "Sondland is a joke. The more you it's hear so about funny. him, it's the like more he good. seems like a joke." Um, he's told him he told Holmes that Trump only cares about quote unquote the big stuff when it comes to Ukraine, and that he and he. Holmes was like, well, you know, the conflict with Russia over Crimea seems like the big stuff. But Sondland yeah. actually was like, actually, the big stuff, he means the Biden investigation that benefits me in my reelection. Um, yeah, so that is... That's big. There was also a good part in the call where um, Trump asks Sondland, like, where are you? And he says, I'm in Kiev. Oh, and yeah. he's like, in U- are you in Ukraine? Yeah, he's like, I thought like, you were in Ukraine. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. It is so funny. Okay, this is the piece of evidence that goes to my favorite thing to speculate about now. I think that Donald Trump got this idea to ask Zelensky for this Biden stuff. I think he got this idea from Putin. Yeah. I think in one of their like private conversations, 
it was like hinted at and this is complete speculation i just really think that this is what happened and my number one reason for thinking this is because trump doesn't know shit about yeah. ukraine I, you where yeah. you think he just randomly got this idea that he's gonna ask ukraine of all the countries right. that he hasn't heard of right that he's gonna ask Ukraine for this information but why like it doesn't really make sense like, he also clearly didn't know like he probably just thought like Ukraine's like it's just another random European country like Norway it's like no it's at the nexus of like the battle between east and west right. like it's an eastern European country one of them that's really embraced democracy and they're like really trying to hold on to and we pay very close attention to but he clearly did yeah. not know that and also the plot by which he's gonna help himself get reelected by having a invest a fake a show yeah. investigation because he doesn't even care if the investigation oh, yeah. opens he only cared if Zelensky announced the investigation right. so he decides he's going to have this investigation into hunter biden like hunter biden's son in it on an energy board in ukraine yeah. like it's yeah. so random how would he even know about hunter biden being on this board like i don't feel like that's something he would pay attention to it just seems weird that this is the particular path by which the events I mean, played out. We get pitched by PR people all the time. They tell they give you an idea and they tell you exactly how helping them will benefit you. And if they're good at it, pretty convincing ways. Yeah. And, and I, I think Putin was like, hey, I, I don't want people to think we messed with your election, even though I feel like they've like outwardly admitted it. Like we heard that maybe Ukraine did, but also have you ever considered yeah. going after Biden there? Right. Yeah. I feel like it was probably just some like sh quick suggestion, yeah. like didn't. And, and, it, and they did have a few conversations that there were missing transcripts for or right. there were no transcripts. Oh, yeah. And that happened a few times since he's yeah. been in office. So like what happened during those conversations? That's that's a really important question. And if the White House lawyer that decided to put the July 25th call, I don't know if he was still that he was there because the, his communications with Putin are put in that secret place, too, I think. Yeah. You could probably speak to that. And that secret are absolutely server. related. Right. Yeah. Um, hey, American Fever Dream listeners. I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Because now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone for any occasion. And it's easy. You just tap or click Gift Mode in your Etsy app or Etsy.com and then answer a few questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated gift idea list based on hundreds of personas. Now it is simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of my favorite things to do are go to Etsy gift mode and then search absurd things like what kind of gifts do you have with Walter Cronkite on them? What kind of gifts do you have for dachshund owners? There's jewelry, ceramic, toys, board games, all kinds of fun stuff. A gifting moment is always right around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try gift mode on Etsy now. Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. You get fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. 
And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com, newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental, change your clothes. So there's tons more testimony this week. We'll go through it really, really quickly. So tomorrow we're going to hear from Kurt Volker, who along with Gordon Sondland and Rick Perry were part of the Three Amigos who were tasked with handling Ukraine policy in this outside channel. And Tim Morrison, who's another guy who heard the call, that guy said it wasn't a, he didn't find the call inappropriate, although he does say exactly what everyone who doesn't find it appropriate said, which is that there seemed to be a quid pro quo or some sort of exchange. And Wednesday is the big day where we get testimony from Gordon Sondland. Um, who he also remember he updated his testimony to be like, oh, yeah, I guess I did hear more than I said. But now we're finding out there was so much more to it. Um, it's possible that he might not even talk. He might invoke the Fifth Amendment. And then Thursday, we're going to hear from Fiona Hill, who's a Russia advisor to the president, um, close with John Bolton and David Holmes, who's that guy who who overheard the phone call. You know, it's so amazing. <laughs> I always thought that this presidency, if it got brought down before yeah. too much damage is done, that it would get undone by some weird idiosyncrasy mm-hmm. some stupid character flaw of trump's and the fact that it's that he talks this too big. loudly into oh the my phone god i know is just oh it's perfect it is i know i know like it's too good that it's just like some dumb stupid thing that he does yeah that brings him down like i just i love another it. anecdote i like about david holmes is that david holmes is sort of well known because he also I'm sure Trump will try to spin all these people as never Trumpers. David Holmes actually won an award for speaking up to Obama about an Afghanistan policy he didn't think would work. And I guess within the State Department, they have like awards for like, if you made a good point and you stood up to the president, you get an award. And he was one of the people that did that. And he was saying this time, he was like, I didn't know what I had to say made any sense. And then I heard the main defense from one side was that it was all hearsay. So I was like, I guess I also you should have told them before, Dave. But yeah, seriously. So that's next. This week is going to be big. We'll be here for you to yeah. break it all down. Sign up for our email at betches.co slash sub sign up. We'll promote that more later. Yeah. Um, let's talk about Roger Stone real quick. Um, so Roger Stone, Trump's bestie from a long time ago. They yeah. really go way back. He was involved in the election in, in his 2016 campaign. Yet another one of Trump's associates. Yeah. Found guilty on Friday of Seven counts in total. One count of obstruction, obstructing an official proceeding. Five counts of making false statements to Congress. And one count of witness tampering. So this makes Stone the sixth former Trump advisor to be convicted of or plead guilty to charges related to the Mueller investigation. Um, Basically, this was over the fact that prosecutors were alleging that Stone tried to obstruct the House Intelligence Committee's investigation of Russian interference into the 2016 election by lying to them about his efforts to talk to WikiLeaks and by encouraging another witness to lie to him, to lie for him, not to him. Hmm. So, yeah, crazy. The sixth one. The to be convicted one. or plead guilty. Roger Stone has been an asshole for so oh long. God. He's up for like 50 years in prison. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll see what happens in the pardon 
right right yeah i mean we have to see what his sense i did not know until this week that he straight up has a tattoo of richard nixon on his back oh it's like it's gross no he's a real psycho you should watch get me roger stone on netflix yeah i will oh i haven't watched it it. but i will you're gonna love it premium content yeah yeah so that's gratifying yes yeah so we'll be back in a minute for today's election section nothing creates holiday stress like searching for the perfect gift. Expectations are high and you don't want to disappoint. That's why I want to tell you about Dollar Shave Club. They're the guys who deliver amazing razors and grooming products to millions of men and women and people of all genders across the country. And this holiday season, they've got winning gifts that the guys and gals and whoever in your life will actually use. Their ultimate shave gift set was a guaranteed hit with basically everything needed for an amazing shave. It comes with a six-blade razor, four replacement cartridges, exfoliating prep scrub for a close shave, their world-famous shave butter, post-shave dew to moisturize and help prevent irritation. The guy in your life has never experienced a shave like this before. And new this year, Dollar Shave Club has recreated something called the Roblancho, which is a robe, a poncho, and a blanket all in one. It's a Roblancho. It's limited edition loungewear reimagined. Words don't do it justice. You have to check it out. You have to check out the Roblancho. You have to. So check out Dollar Shave Club's holiday gift selection right now at dollarshaveclub.com sup order before December 18th to arrive by the 24th with free shipping. These gift sets are limited and they'll definitely sell out. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash sup, dollarshaveclub.com slash sup. Okay, so in addition, so on Sunday is Gordon Sondland's testimony, as we discussed, um, one of the most highly anticipated impeachment testimonies. But Wednesday is also the fifth, I repeat, the fifth Democratic debate. It will be in Atlanta. There will be nine participants, Joe Biden, Cory Booker, Pete Buttigieg, Tulsi Gabbard, Kamala Harris, Amy Klobuchar, Bernie Sanders, Tom Steyer, Elizabeth Warren, Julian Castro sadly did not qualify. Beto O'Rourke recently dropped out. None of these noobs are going to be there. But it'll be only two hours instead of three. <laughs> you know, I remember how excited I was for like the early debates. And just now I'm like, do we have to? Like, I get it. Like, this is all just like a bunch of peacocking. It's like kind of no one ever really gets to say anything because it's so there's right. so many of them. Um, and yeah, the Iowa caucus is on February 3rd. Speaking of the of Iowa, mm-hmm. Mayor Pete is leading pretty massively yeah. in a new Iowa poll. Um, so we're expecting that the debate will be full of attacks on yeah. him. I'm sure they'll come after him for being young, for only getting elected by like a few thousand people. Yeah. For the fact that he claimed he was endorsed by several black people, who some of whom weren't black right. and yeah. didn't endorse him. Um, but yeah, this poll shows that Buttigieg has support of 25% of likely Iowa caucus goers, which is a 16-point surge from the same September poll. He's really been working on his infrastructure and has really been focusing on Iowa like Obama yeah. won Iowa first and then that really yeah you know propels him into the you know being a front runner so Buttigieg has that chance um he's leading Warren who has 16% Biden who has 15% and Bernie Sanders who also has 15% by more than the margin of error yeah so that's pretty big yeah um it'll be interesting to see what happens it will be interesting he has really penetrated. Yeah. Um, but he hasn't penetrated nationally. I think it obviously has something to do with the fact that Iowa is 90% white. white yeah. And he's a Midwesterner as well. Yeah. Um, it also, I mean, and you know, the Iowa caucuses, like, they feel very strong about their caucus. Iowa's 90% white. It also happens at night when a lot of people are working. 
Look, you got to give them their caucus. Yeah, they will not give it up. But there's lots of discussions about how to make it more accessible. But that's that's I mean, usually whoever wins Iowa is like, I think without I don't know. I feel like were were we like was Obama as much of a real candidate in this point as I feel like Buttigieg is like there's so many people in the race that even the top four are like, yeah, it could be them. You know, I'm not sure. I feel like it took Obama winning Iowa for us to be like, I think it did. So the Iowa caucus is one of those things like the Electoral College that is just like kind of prevents the the elections from being truly democratic. And, mm. you know, there are a lot of advantages to living in New York. The weather not being one, the disgusting subway not being one. Mm. But I'm really fucking sick of no one caring about yeah, getting my I vote. I know, I know. Like, why does ours not matter? Do we not contribute to the economy of this country? I don't know. This isn't a time to talk about the Electoral <laughs> College. But, like, I'm just, it really yeah. bothers me. Yeah. Like, why are we so obsessed with these people in Iowa when we're, we're here, too? Yeah. New Hampshire even has in its, like, constitution that they have to be the first primary, which is why, like, there's been some toying around with the idea of Iowa maybe moving to a primary. But they don't want, like, Iowa and New Hampshire, like, respect each other when it comes to this. They're like... We, we're first to this shit in different ways. And so New Hampshire's like, well, we don't want to step on Iowa's toes. But okay, well, Iowa we doesn't want to step on New Hampshire's toes. Yeah, yeah. This whole thing makes no it's sense. because it means it, like, it'd literally be illegal for like, Iowa to, why for New Hampshire some, not to go first. I mean, it just, oh, again, this it's isn't the place to rehash the arguments, but it makes no sense that, that some states should get to like matter right. more. Like, what? Yeah. What? Okay. I agree. Um, we have another late entrant into the race. His name is Deval Patrick. He is the 63-year-old former governor of Massachusetts, Massachusetts, and he's formally entered the race. Let's listen to some of his announcement video. I admire and respect the candidates in the Democratic field. They bring a richness of ideas and experience and a depth of character that makes me proud to be a Democrat. But if the character of the candidates is an issue in every election, this time is about the character of the country. This time is about whether the day after the election, America will keep her promises. This time is about more than removing an unpopular and divisive leader, as important as that is, but about delivering instead for you. So in a spirit of profound gratitude for all the country has given to me, and with a determination to build a better, more sustainable, more inclusive American dream for the next generation, I am today announcing my candidacy for President of the United States. Come be a part of this. So no one there does he really address why. He like starts to. He's like, this matters more than ever and I admire the candidates, but I'm one too. Like he doesn't really say right. exactly why. I like, mean, why me? I think it's like the Bloomberg approach where he's just, he personally is not confident that anyone can beat Trump. So he's jumping in. I mean, so interestingly, this is like historically late to enter a race, but it's only a month later than Bill Clinton actually entered his in 1991. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I don't really, I don't personally have like many opinions on him as of right now. I don't, I don't know much about him. I will say that. Yeah. Um, But I do. Yeah. I don't know. These late, people yeah bloomberg also is expected to formally announce unclear if he will this past weekend he basically admitted he was wrong about stop and frisk right in new york and he's had they've both have not great well deval pack doesn't have personally not great bloomberg has like said weird things to women that work for him he's like referred to like do you give are you giving your boyfriend good head he's been like oh, if man. only women use their brains instead of going to bloomingdale's a lot of shit like that but um, in a piece for medium feminist author Jessica Valenti, she made a pretty good point. You should check out the piece. I'll put it on our Instagram stories later. But 
she basically was like, this is just a savior complex. Like, there's no reason why these men are better candidates than the others. We also have a historically diverse. Deval Patrick was the nation's second black governor. Um, we have like a historically diverse field out there. You know, she wrote, it takes a pretty healthy ego to believe that despite a field of well-liked and accomplished candidates, you're the one who needs to step in, who needs to step in and save the day. I love her use of pretty healthy ego. Yeah. When what she means to say is narcissistic. Right, right. Yeah. That's um, why it doesn't surprise me that it's men who are throwing their hat in this late in the game. Yeah. Yeah. It's really enough. Um, so it's too many people. Like, yeah. I feel like I've been saying it's overall. So it's long. 19 now. I, we, it's like one goes and that's not how this works. <laughs> right. It's not like we need a replacement. Right. And trying whereas, to whittle like, it down. Bloomberg could, I've read that his strategy is to basically ignore the first four states and use his personal fortune to basically buy the rest of them. Cool. Um, I don't, I don't think big structural. Change. I don't know a lot about Deval Patrick, but I don't think that he has like the personal fortune or the connections to sort of do a similar thing. But Nope. I mean, like, especially in Massachusetts, like Elizabeth Warren is beloved in Massachusetts and she's already gotten the endorsements of a lot of people there. And it's enough. Yeah, I think it's enough. OK, let's move on to one more thing. Yeah. We have a scary weather report. Yeah. Cool. Venice. Venice is scary weather reporting Venice. So Venice is having historic flooding with the worst years of high tide since 1872 at one point the water reached five foot nine inches above sea level which is terrifying the city has had to close its famous saint mark's square and the whole city i believe is a unesco heritage site there was like a multi-billion euro project to sort of protect the city from this type of flooding that was stalled of course as you can imagine if you live in a big city even venice is in a big city but it's, it's anything like a, really expensive there. yeah there's exactly it's a meaningful city it's an important city they already are have going through it with tourists just like grinding them down. And this is just, I mean, I'm sure you guys have seen the pictures, but if you haven't looked them up, they're shocking. I mean, what's crazy about this is this is just tides. This isn't oh my God, like I know. even a natural disaster. That's it's true. not like a crazy hurricane. It's not like more anything. Like it's it's literally just this, the, the tides happen to be a little higher. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Standard variation in tides. This has caused, caused 80% of the city to be submerged. Right. So... Yeah, um, I guess we're like going to just continue to do nothing about that. Um, great. Yeah. Are we good? I guess we're good. Great. Yeah. <laughs> do we have anything to tell our audience? Definitely keep rating, reviewing and subscribing. It helps us. We also have been working on our ambassador program. So check that out. Go to our highlights on Instagram. We also always included the newsletter. If you try to share it with your friends and sign up, you might get a message that says you are already subscribed. Just request a new password. Um, but if you have not, um, tried to access it before do try because we we changed that and fix that you should be able to make a new account and you get like cool shit a lot of people ask how they can get the stickers you can't buy them you can only buy them by referring friends which is cheaper than buying them much cheaper and you enrich your friends with information and stickers yeah you yeah. could give them to them right if you are so generous that'd be really nice <laughs> yeah so check out on our highlights how to sign up there's literally like a little tutorial like and tutorial is even too strong a word for it yeah it's just just you'll see you don't have to like we would literally walk you through it. You'll just swipe up once, type in your information, and then let us know what friend you got to sign up. Exactly. Or no, it automatically goes once you share, right. the, once they sign up with the link that you send them. So like, you don't even have to tell us. Um, we just know. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also, if you miss anything during the week, be sure to check out our highlights, which Amanda saves for basically, she can go, you can go through, you can see what stories happened this week, just even if you 
you know, come yeah. in after 24 hours, please sign up for our email, betches.co slash sub sign up. Elise, one of your favorite hosts, works so hard on it every day and she kills it. I laugh it. at it every day. It's, it's amazing. Hilarious. It's really it, funny. It's a lunchtime read. We yeah. switched back because you guys didn't like that idea. Yeah. To switch it to later. So again, betches.co slash sub sign up, get the email, tell your friends. And the show's not over yet. Stick around for my interview with Nadia Okamoto, founder of Period, a menstrual movement. This podcast is sponsored by Duke Cannon Country, where eggnog is served spiked without the egg or the nog. I have no idea what to get certain people in my life, but Duke Cannon Country is kind of helping me out. They've got their Jingle Booze gift set for $15. That's a 30-ounce booze-inspired premium soaps that, in fact, smell nothing like booze. A big-ass lump of coal soap, which is actually called that, and it smells like mischief and shenanigans made with activated charcoal, and it's triple milled. They've also got proper cologne. You can select any two for $40, two colognes for $40. You can get a subtle, natural scent enhancer to be discovered, not announced, and they're made with clean, naturally-derived fragrance oils crafted in small batches and housed in a modern apothecary-style bottle. So all of these stuff, it's easy to buy gift for the hard-to-buy guy. Their products are made in the USA in the same factory that manufactured soap for GIs during the Korean War. And all of these products are tested by active-duty military, so you know they get you super clean. And 5% of net products are donated to causes benefiting veterans and active-duty military, so we love that. Duke Cannon will not be waking up at 3M on Black Friday to purchase a $63 plasma TV made in Guam, nor does he expect you to take a break from your Thanksgiving fair to partake in a good deal. Instead, Duke Cannon wants to share the best deals with you right now. So visit DukeCannon.com and use the promo code SUP for 15% off your entire order. Free shipping comes with orders over $35, and all products are also available at your local Target. Again, that's DukeCannon.com with the promo code SUP for 15% off your entire order. Hi, guys. We are back with Nadia Okamoto, founder and executive director of Period and author of Period Power, a manifesto for the menstrual movement. Hi, Nadia. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Good, good. Not bad. So what something really exciting brings you to the city, right? What, do, what have you been here for this week? Well, so I'm here to sort of check in on my company's new headquarters. Ooh, cool. We just opened up headquarters last year in Times Square, which is a little bit hectic. Um, but I've been in and out of the city all week. I was here on Monday for the Glamour Women of the Year Awards. So cool. I went back to school for eight hours oh for class, God. and then I came right back, um, yeah. and I'm here until Sunday. Yes, yes. And we should also mention, in addition to those roles, you are a Harvard junior? Yes, I awesome. am. I awesome. Am. Wow. So you are the founder of Period. This is personal for you, why you started this. Can you describe what your nonprofit does and how it started and what motivated you to start it? Of course. So Period, we are a global youth-run NGO fighting to end period poverty and period stigma through service, education, and advocacy. So we distribute products to people in need. We're trying to change the way people think, talk, and learn about periods through education. And we're now fighting for menstrual equity through period policy. So from the local level, trying to get period products into schools, shelters, and prisons. State level, trying to take down the tampon tax that still yep. exists in 33 states um, and kind of, you know, mobilizing young people to do all of this. Um, my passion for periods comes from a really personal place. I founded this organization when I was 16 years old, um, inspired by stories I heard directly from homeless women about using toilet paper, socks, brown paper, grocery bags, and cardboard to take care of their periods. But also I think it was a time when I was constantly thinking about privilege and my place with privilege um, because when I was 16 my family experienced living without a home of our own because we were in deep financial insecurity at the time um, and so I think that you know it re my passion for periods really comes from a place of 
being able to empathize at a deeper level with these people who are not able to afford such basic necessities and started period didn't know what a nonprofit was when I started and fast forward five years um, to date we've addressed over 950,000 periods through product wow. distribution and we've now registered over 600 campus chapters in all 50 states and 30 countries that's wild that's incredible and so five years ago you are now 21 yes and five I'm years ago you were you so you started this when you were 16 years old yes I did yeah yeah what I mean, did, were you thinking about it for a while or you're just like, this is something that I need to do? In retrospect, are you kind of like, oh my God, I can't believe I did that? Or like, how does a 16-year-old start a nonprofit? So, I mean, honestly, I think that it was a few months that I was hearing stories about period poverty and actively seeking them out. Right. And, um, and then I think that after I learned about the tampon tax, it was like, holy shit, mm-hmm. I need to do something about this, mm-hmm. right? And I decided to start a nonprofit after I Googled trying to find other nonprofits to volunteer okay. with. And I could not find a single one that was focused on US doing policy, doing service, but like engaging the US period poverty at all. Because I think that wow. for a lot longer, people have acknowledged that people don't have access to period products internationally. Periods are the number one reason why girls miss school in developing countries. And in many countries, a girl's first period is a single event that links to her dropping out of school, getting married early, undergoing female gender mutilation, social isolation. And so I think that... Um, you know, I, I knew that it was an issue globally, but I think that when I realized there was not a lot of activism happening domestically at the time, I um, decided to start a nonprofit. And I had no idea what the fuck that meant. Yeah. I just knew that the word nonprofit is like what my mom said to help out the community. Right. So I started getting friends together and we Googled what is a nonprofit? What is the IRS? What are taxes? Yeah. Um, what is a board of directors and right. all of that? Right. Awesome. So you've sort of spoken to this a little bit, but obviously a big part of your work is awareness raising about this yeah. issue. But there's also the practical aspect of, you know, eliminating a tax. Like that's something that can actually be done to have an immediate impact. What needs to be done to eliminate the tampon tax? And how have you had success so far where you have had success persuading state lawmakers to take another look at it? So big, exciting news. Our Ohio chapter, after a few years of fighting, finally took down the tampon tax in Ohio, which was incredible. Um, There are 33 states that still have this tampon tax, which is a sales tax on period products, considering them luxury, non-essential goods. Uh, Meanwhile, products like Rogaine, Viagra, penile pumps are medical necessities. Um, But, you know... I think that what when I started, I was really scared by the like the daunting task of taking yeah. down the tampon tax because I mean there were mentors who were telling me you don't have what it takes, you don't have a law degree. How are you supposed to know which legislators to work with? And then I started actually meeting with these legislators, and they would tell me, honestly, like it's not that hard. We just have to really keep up public pressure, yeah. right? We have to before we can change policy, we have to change culture in the way of that we need to get the the public to be able to acknowledge that this is an important thing to take down and to recognize that menstrual hygiene is a right and not a privilege. And so, so much of the work that we do for policy is actually very inherent to raising awareness and changing that culture. Like, how can we get all these people talking about periods? How can we get them posting about it? Mm -hmm. How can we get them, you know, communicating with their legislators saying that this needs to be taken down? Yeah, because that that was my next question is that you know, you would think it's primarily an awareness issue. Like, yeah. so, you know, is is one your goal is your goal to sort of raise your goal is to raise awareness in order to um, sort of undermine the tampon tax and, and have people pay more attention to essentially ultimately get rid of it. But I guess my question is, like, what's the argument for not eliminating the tampon tax? Do you know what I mean? Like, if yeah. we reach a point where of like maximum knowledge and we've raised tons of awareness, are you getting specific pushback on, you know, rationales for keeping it 
I mean, we get pushed back you know? every day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a big thing is, first of all, some people just don't think that they're necessities. Okay. Some people think like, you've gone this far. Why don't you just you see that? Toilet? It didn't yeah. even occur to me. So no, it's no, wild. No. And that's the crazy thing is people ask, ask me, ask me often what kind of pushback. And I'm like, well, some people just think periods are disgusting. Yeah. Like, honestly, crazy. like my DMs fill up every day by people who just don't like what I'm talking about wow. or, or think that women should be kept in their place with periods like some people just don't don't think that it's a necessity you know yeah um on the other hand i think like the biggest argument against it is okay where are we going to make up that money sure. because while yeah. it's not a big amount of money for uh, with overall state budgets it's not a small amount either right california makes minimum 20 21 million dollars i mm-hmm. think off of the tampons alone mm-hmm. on average it's about 43 cents per tampon six percent across the country right right internationally like in sweden i was just there their tampon tax is 25 percent, you know Mm -hmm. but i would say that one of the big things is well where what do you expect us to increase taxes on on other places right and you know why would we increase it on tobacco and alcohol which is usually the proposal sure so i think that you know the pushback ranges from either just not agreeing that this should be treated as necessity all the way to um this brings in revenue or how have you gone this long and you haven't cared about it if you can go this long like totally it's not a pressing issue. Yeah, it must be so frustrating to sort of have to angle this as like now we're asking for something that should have never been withheld from us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think that yeah, the, the biggest piece of feedback that's hard to fight is saying, why is this people who say, why is this coming up just now? Right. Like, yeah. why is it suddenly you need period products? And what we say is it's not that suddenly people need period products or suddenly these are necessities. It's that we're finally at a place in society where we're able to push back and demand what we have a right to. Mm-hmm. Um but it's it's crazy. And I think that, I mean, we get sort of pushback that's, you know, really hard to deal with of people just fundamentally disagreeing with us, sure. right? Like, I think whenever we talk about trans inclusivity, that's a big thing, right? Mm-hmm. Where people are just like, nope, like trans visibility does not exist. And we're wow. like, okay, yeah. we have to fundamentally debunk why you think that and try to explain from the very beginning why gender and sex are two different things. Yeah, it was one of my questions about, you know, how can we make conversations about menstrual hygiene more important. I feel like lately you've seen more of a shift in people not calling it feminine hygiene. Yeah. But do you actually get sort of confronted about being more inclusive and people are not happy with that? Every day. I mean, you know, we really use the wow. term menstruators. Yeah. Um, to we say, you know, not all women menstruate and not all menstruators are exactly. women. Um, some might identify as trans or non-binary or other and get their period still. Right. Um, and we get like I think that those are the tweets unfortunately that always go the most viral because people really? there's so much pushback right yeah. so I mean first of all I mean it's a hard thing because like I believe so strongly and I think our network does but our network is primarily cis uh-huh. right and so it's trying to figure out how we can continue advocating for this but in a way that's as inclusive as possible but I think like it's interesting because with the term menstruators we get pushback from both sides mm-hmm. first of all mm-hmm. a lot of cis women hate the term menstruators because they think that it minimizes women to only being someone who gets a period like they're like it's like terminators but our only purpose is menstruating and we're like no No. it's just meant to be gender inclusive versus other people are like men don't have periods what are you talking about like no if you have a vagina you're a woman and we have to be like right sex and gender are two different things yeah you're fighting several different battles as one exactly at once and i think it's a hard thing because i think you know we get this question a lot from chapters when they post about it and they say how do i deal with the pushback and we have to say it's hard because like, how do you choose your battles wisely? And you know, every activist will tell you that it is draining to deal with these constantly. I think it's thinking about who are the people that you're going to invest your time in because there's a chance that you could convert them over to, you know, also being inclusive. But sometimes there are people who comment and you're just like, 
who'd like tell you to commit suicide because it, like all this stuff, it gets oh so God. nasty and you have to just be like, I don't know if this is worth my energy and my time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. So you mentioned that, you know, when you started, you had some mentors even who, who questioned whether you could do it. And I feel like you started period five years ago when you were 16. I feel like you started it before there was this big, broader, like societal awareness of how powerful Gen Z is and how passionate and how like competent and ready they are to fight for what they believe in. I feel like after Parkland and now with Greta Thunberg, it's just sort of more in the consciousness that like you can't just ignore younger people. Do you feel like there's been any shift in how you interact with legislatures, with, um, you know, people that you work with that are, are older um, have you noticed any shift in how you're sort of treated or engaged with over the past five years? I mean, 100%. So when I started this organization, I think we sort of got into it before youth activism yeah, and periods exactly. became hot, right? Mm-hmm. Like 2015 That's was true. the year that Cosmopolitan and NPR named 2015 the year of the period yeah. and talking about period poverty. I started this organization in 2014, yeah. you know, like in literally incorporated December 2014. Totally. So when we started, everyone was like, what do you want to talk about? Why do you want to talk about it? Now people are like, oh, I heard about this. Like, I'm so excited about this, right? Like the fact that we're on a podcast about periods was not happening at the scale it was before. I would also say, yeah, like now when people talk about young people, like every politician is saying, we're hopeful because of young people. Mm -hmm. Look what young people can do. We need young people voting. We need all of the, you know, calling on young people. And we also have like extreme examples, Malala, Greta, Parkland students, March for Our Lives, women's march like people now see youth activism as a trend right and when we started it was not like that when we started we would walk into every room and people would be like oh this is so cute is this for like a school project you know like it was not even a something that a lot of people could visualize of why we wanted to do this when we when we would say we wanted to start a nonprofit. honestly the most hurtful and common reaction we would get is people saying oh that's so cute you know and like not taking us seriously now when we walk in they're like oh, this is awesome. I heard that young people right. did this. I believe in this. It's so great that young people are taking action. And, you know, I, I outside of period, I'm chief brand officer and co-founder of a company called Juve Consulting, mm-hmm. which is a Gen Z marketing agency. Yeah. And I was the oldest person until we hired a 23-year-old CFO recently. <laughs> but we work with like now over 30 Fortune 500 companies on marketing yeah. strategy and digital activations. And, you know, the fact that we're able to sit around the table with corporate partners who acknowledge that they need young people as consumers, they need young people as, you know, thought leaders in their space is is something that I would not have imagined we would have yeah. five years ago. That must be very, very gratifying to go from somebody being really patronizing and people telling you it was a cute idea to then getting paid to help people yeah. figure out how to sort of implement your perspective. Oh, of course. I mean, it's, 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 I love what I do. And I think that yeah. like, I think that's why I'm such a workaholic because like yeah. the work is just, I am so excited about it. Um, I think at the same time, like it's not that we've like achieved getting of rid course. of ageism. Yeah, yeah. I think that in, in a lot of senses, what we're still fighting is people being like, wow, I believe that young people can do it, but it, that doesn't mean I'm not going to invest my money in them. That doesn't mean I'm going to hire them. That doesn't mean I'm going to treat them with respect. But I think we've made progress in the way of, people it's not unheard of that young people can mobilize i mean look at what greta has done you know and i think that we we now i i think it was really motivating for me when i started every time someone would doubt me and so i got really addicted to the impact numbers because i remember my mom saying just show them that you can make the impact right so now i walk into rooms and if they question me i'm like okay well guess what we've served nine hundred and fifty thousand periods and we've mobilized 600 chapters we've you know we've led these viral campaigns we've taken down policy 
like come at me, yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, so what can people, I really want you to be able to start saying a million. What can people do to help period? So to help period, you can get involved with one of our campaigns. We're trying to get to a million by the end of the year. Cool. Let's um, do it, guys. Let's do yeah, it. So if you go to freetheperiod.com, we're actually doing a national collection drive. Cool. And I think we might hit a million by the end of the month. Actually. Wow. Yeah. Ah, yeah. That's so it cool. should be really fun. But we have like on freetheperiod.com. So our website is period.org, but freetheperiod.com is our new campaign where anyone can go up and register to host a drive. We have all the toolkits there and we're really, you know, around the holiday camp holiday sure. giving time how do you take action in your local community to serve the needs of others around you yeah yeah awesome I still have a few more questions but wanted to make sure we got yeah. we got that in because that's you're so close that's so exciting <laughs> um so beyond the tampon tax what are some other ways access to menstrual hygiene is inhibited I'm wondering if you can talk about um speak to the situation for incarcerated women in this country yeah I mean it really varies across okay. different situations but you know I think the the stat that I always try to bring up is it is very common in many um in many w prisons is that there's one, a lack of period products. Sometimes they run out. And then also because there's a, there's a lack of period products, they're often used as like bargaining chips of power sure. with guards. Yeah. So there have been instances and in, you know, where like the legal mandate is three pads a week. Right. Oh, and anyone yeah. who gets a period is like, are you kidding me? Yeah. That's what I go through in a day. Yeah. Right. There's a number of ACLU cases and cases, complaints against inmates who, who or, you know, the system of people who think that inmates are misusing period products to be cleaning products or whatever. So therefore they withhold them. Right. Or yeah. um, it, cases where period products were used as bargaining chips for sexual favors yeah. or just places of power. People having to prove that they used a period product or prove that they're on their period. Um, and so much of what we're trying to do is fight for uh, basic access to period products in schools, shelters, and prisons. Right. And it's like these things would never even be suspicious, like suspect as bargaining chips if they weren't rarely dispensed anyway. Exactly. And when people ask me what my vision is for what access could look like, I compare it to toilet paper. Because yeah. like if you walk into a bathroom and there's no toilet mm -hmm. paper, you'd be kind of fucking pissed, right? right? And like we're trying to say that periods are just as natural. It, it can come just as unexpectedly. Sure. And, you know, how do you take advantage of that? Yeah, yeah. Um, so you, we were talking about how you went to Glamour's Women of the Year Award this year. Um, who did you meet that was really exciting to meet? I, so the night before I had dinner with Busy Phillips. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. Sam Barry, the editor-in-chief of Glamour. Yeah. And like, it was just... The I, three of you? Well, it was like 16 of us, oh, like yeah, the yeah. different guests. And that was just such a beautiful moment because like both of them are people I've looked up to for so long for yeah. like using their platforms to talk about real issues, even regardless of the blowback. And I think mm -hmm. busy being able to share her story of abortion yeah. and ignite a fire of people kind of reclaiming that was so inspiring to me, especially as I play in national period day in October mm -hmm. and to be able to talk with them. And I was trying to share with them idea. I have like this really big dream of engaging presidential candidates and talking about women's health. Um, it was just really, really brilliant to be able to meet them because I've just looked up to both of them for so long. Um, and I think yeah. that like the, this last week has just sort of, sort of filled me with inspiration to kind of take forward. Um, I also met Margaret Atwood backstage <laughs> and I'm working on my second book right now and I started yeah. talking to her about it and you know, she, she told me, I, I was telling her, you know, I feel a little bit of imposter syndrome in writing this book. I, I want to write my next book about Asian American identity cool. and my kind of like lack of connection to it and confusion about it. You know, she just sort of told me, it doesn't matter what people think. You should just write it and then see what you think. Yeah. And I was like, wow, you know what? It's simple. Yeah. That advice is very simple, but that's exactly totally. what I needed to hear from a legend like Margaret yeah. Atwood to be yeah. like, okay. And, and I want to, I haven't put anything down, but I want to write that really soon. Yeah. 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 That's so cool. I'm excited for that. Um, Thank you. So you're also a junior at Harvard while you're doing all of this. 
I mean, I feel like it's a generic boring question to be like, how do you do that? But like, yeah. what what motivates you to, to push through it and to do oh, it all? God. And I also, I mean, I know you took a leave of absence and you did choose to return. Were you always going to return or you decided that it was a, it was a good time and it made sense and you could do both? Like, how do yeah. you balance these two things? So, so I, I, yes, I, I always knew that I was going to return okay. because it's always been really important to me that I get my degree because I recognize how much of a privilege course, it is to yeah. go to Harvard and I recognize how much of a privilege it is to even have that opportunity. And I think for me, like in complete honesty, okay, I'm going to be completely honest. Yeah. I don't think that having a college degree right now is going to change my career in any way. Yeah, right. You know, like I don't, I'm my own boss. I employ other people. Right. I'm not, I don't like getting a college degree is not going to change that. You know, yeah. that being said, I think that going to Harvard and getting my degree has been a dream for me. It's been a dream for my grandparents who are immigrants yeah. here, you know, and I think especially in Asian culture, getting a Harvard degree means a lot, you know? And so I think I feel this like odd sense of obligation to do it, but also like I recognize how much of an opportunity is. And, um, you know, I, I don't love going to school. I'm definitely <laughs> not a school person. <laughs> Um, but I value what I'm learning yeah. like and I'm trying to finesse a way to take what I'm learning and apply it to the real world So I'm doing an independent study right now literally about period stigma wow. and trying to study it and I've been learning so much and like literally at the beginning of the year I went in to meet with uh, um, The chair of the history of science department um, a professor named Evelyn Hammond who I've looked up to for a really long time and I went in and I was like, I don't know where period stigma comes from. I'm asked all the time, can we do that? And then she's just been assigning me reading. And now I feel like I have an answer. Yeah. Of wow. Where it comes from. That's incredible yeah. that like it started with you just like in ferociously Googling yeah. when you were in high school to now like yeah. studying under Harvard professors about the same topic. And, yeah. And I think like in that sense, like that part of school has been super eye opening for me because like it's really humbling because it's these, prof you know, I walk around and in a lot of circles I'm in. I'm looked at as the expert on period stigma and poverty. And then I sort of realized I never yeah. went to school for it. It's learned anecdotally, you yeah. know? And yes, that's equally important. But you know, when I meet with professors, they're like, have you done reading? Have you done literature? Mm -hmm. You need to be reading all of these books. You need to be look, reading pieces from the beginning of the 20th totally. century to really study this. You need to read these manifestos. And so I'm reading these texts and like granted, yeah, I have a book about period poverty and period stigma, but that doesn't make me an ex expert. Mm -hmm. So I think school has been really humbling for me and just like constantly reading and learning and learning like how much I do not know. Sure. Yeah. 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 Awesome. So how do you hope to see things change in the next 10 years in terms of access to menstrual hygiene products and awareness about who needs them and why? I mean, you know, something I'm why I'm really passionate about the menstrual movement is that I think it's solvable. Unlike most mm -hmm. period or most poverty related issues, period poverty is solvable. I can tell you exactly the legislation that I want to see pass in the next five years. Yeah. And I know this is bold. I want to see the 33 states take down the tampon tax remaining. Yeah. I want to see food stamps cover period products as necessity. I want to see all high schools and all middle schools have period products freely accessible in their restrooms in all public schools. Yeah. Right. Um, and I want period products to be freely accessible in prisons yeah. and shelters. This is all work that can be achieved by legislation. Totally. You and know, the way that you're talking about it sounds like incredibly consistent with the platform you're hearing from Democratic candidates. But it, it, is, it, does, it, it seems like it matches up perfectly. But it's not something that we're hearing about. No, it's yeah. not. Yeah. yeah. That's what I'm trying to do in yeah. 2020. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Um, thank you so much, Nadia. And check Nadia Okamoto out, founder and executive director of Period. Check out her book, Period Power, a manifesto for the menstrual movement. And we will share that information with you so we can get to a million. Period. Yes. Yes. By the end of the year. Thank you so much, Nadia. Thank you. Betches.